0: I think it's time for us to recalibrate what we even mean by words like normal when we still are in a global pandemic that in many places in the world don't have access to vaccination, which means the pandemic will surge on.
1: Welcome to How We Win, All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now.
2: We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have more to do.
1: As we are all grappling with another spike in COVID cases due to a very contagious Delta variant and a very large number of unvaccinated Americans, we have a conversation with public health advocate, Dr. Rhea Boyd. We talk about her work to bring credible
2: information about COVID vaccines to Black and Latinx communities and what we can all expect as the kids
1: head back to school this fall. Super fun chat. (laughs) It it is. (laughs) I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How how We win. Win. yep this is uh this is full of chuckles and giggles this episode
2: a heavy topic but the great and helpful conversation and you got uh you got a little personal consult in there too
1: <laughs> i did well you know as someone one of who has a breakthrough case i'm very concerned and um uh, I had some questions that I think everyone will will want answered mm-hmm. anyway. Now, she she's spectacular. If you don't follow her mm-hmm. on Twitter or are familiar with her work, um, look up Dr. Rhea Boyd. Um, and I'm, I'm just so thrilled she joined us at, at this moment in time to talk to us about all of these things and the work she does, especially getting more people vaccinated and giving them credible information. Um, and helping us maybe even have a little bit of compassion yeah. for people who uh, have not gotten vaccinated yet.
2: I was super. I was super scared to get vaccinated, and I just pushed myself to do it because it was the right thing to do. But I was terrified. Um, and she's got some great resources to help ease some of those those fears. You know, you know, you we expected a vaccine to take a long time, and then it didn't. <laughs> And I was like, "Wait, now. <laughs> I need time to think about this, yeah, um, but it was the it was the right move, so
1: well, what's on your mind let's take let's talk about our news of the week here. Yeah, what's catching your eye
2: I, I think that um one thing we talked about with Dr. Boyd is, you know, what does normal look like going forward? And I think new York city uh, is giving us our first taste of this. They're the first city in the country to do this, and I think others will follow, but um, opening up parts of the city if you have proof of vaccine. So um, they're working in conjunction with private companies to say, you know, if you have your your vaccine card, you can get into gyms, you can get into restaurants, you can attend um, concerts that they're putting on as sort of an incentive to get vaccinated.
1: Yeah. I when I heard this I immediately thought about my ex gym that uh, was putting paper up on their windows and <laughs> and letting people in they they reclassified themselves as a wellness center so they could get around some of the covid Uh, and they were, oh, was just gross in there. They were anyway, Nothing Um,
2: to see here. You are just (laughs) blocking our windows. It was really
1: dodgy. So we'll see how some businesses respond to that because I, you know, I'm sure they'll do the same thing that they were doing during the, uh, the first spike before we had the vaccines. Um, but I, I'm all for it. Uh, I have a small business of my own and I, uh, I've been looking for a sign that says "no shoes, no shirt, no vax, no service." Right?
2: Mm. Yeah, people should let us know if they if they see. I'm sure on Etsy, you can you can find one of those signs. I found a but,
1: T-shirt. I found T-shirts. I didn't find a, a sign, so I'll have to, maybe I'll make one.
2: Well, I mean, I think that's what this is going to boil down to, and like I, I think that we should we should absolutely, as a community, as society, have a conversation about. Uh, vaccine mandates. I think that, you know, many people aren't comfortable with them. I think that, you know, governments would rather, maybe rather not do them. Um, so it's going to take, if we're going to avoid something like that, private businesses like yours, companies, and, you know, really pushing people who trust them, you're a trusted person in, in your community um, to encourage vaccination.
1: You're, you're absolutely right. And you know, obviously, we've had this is nothing new. Having mandates for vaccines is not new, especially when it comes to our kids. You of know, course, when, we, yeah. when kids go to school, they they need to show the immunization records uh, for certain uh, diseases, and and that's what's a little bit confusing to me about people who are are so up in arms about this particular vaccine because it's another vaccine to prevent serious illness from this virus that is out there, just like these other vaccines that we already re- require our kids to have. So um, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out, but I, I'm for it. Count me in.
2: Okay. Oh, to the mandate? <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, I think it would be ideal if people just made the choice for that would be to better. Protect themselves, their families, and their community, and just others. Ahead and yeah, it. yeah, we'll see. That would be um, better.
1: But that goes back to the conversation and and the work that yeah. people like Rhea Boyd are are, are doing to uh, to assuage people's fears and answer their questions and give them good information so that they do get vaccinated.
2: Um. The other thing I wanted to talk about is this idea, and it's going to sound like, oh, haha, ha, they're just talking about it to be funny. Sarah Palin <laughs> might challenge Senator Murkowski in Alaska um, if she says, you know, God tells her to and she gets support from... Uh, from from <coughs> Excuse <me>. the evangelical <coughs>
1: sorry, community. I I literally w- did a spit take just now. I don't know if you could, if that you could I hear it. I saw it. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man.
2: And you know, I, I bring it up, and here's why: because Murkowski is already being challenged by someone who has Trump's support. And now you're starting to get, like, the fringe candidates like Sarah Palin potentially. Um, This happens often, but I think we're going to see more of this from the GOP as they get more and more extreme. Um, And I think they might kind of cannibalize themselves almost. Um, That's not to say that I don't think that – You know, a Democrat will swoop in and and take Murkowski's seat um, while there's infighting with the Republicans. Um, But, like, this is so damaging to the party, right, to have somebody like Sarah Palin like, hey, guys.
1: Never say uh, never, you know. I mean, if there's a few Republican candidates who are cannibalizing each other, then that might open the door for a Democrat to uh, squeak in there. Who knows? Murkowski's been uh, pretty sticky there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Palin. Good Lord. Gosh. Like, I I don't know how I I could take Palin jumping back into the... She's very busy these days.
2: You can go on Cameo and get her to, you know, send a special message to one of your friends. <laughs> it'll cost you a couple hundred
1: bucks. How much would that cost? That's almost worth doing just, <laughs> just as a goof. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... There's some people that we don't like. Let's talk about people that we do like. Let's talk about our hero of the week.
2: My hero of the week is um, people who've gotten vaccinated. Yay. Yay. And and I'll tell you why I've been thinking about this. It's because... um, I've had in like the last couple of weeks, I've had a couple of COVID scares. Um, I took the baby to a, like a little family event um, with a very small group of friends and family, and um, you know, a couple of days later, found out someone there had COVID. And that night, went to dinner with people who'd spent July Fourth in Provincetown. Now, this is before oh, we knew. Oh, interesting what had happened there that weekend there was this massive outbreak there um but everybody that we were around had been vaccinated and wore masks indoors and i am so grateful that they did that because you know these were a couple of breakthrough cases and they were they're totally like this person who had it was totally fine the people in provincetown who'd been in provincetown didn't get it but man if this had been a year ago pre-vaccine You know who knows what would have happened and I'm just grateful that to be surrounded by people who are doing what they're supposed to be doing Because things aren't perfect and there's some breakthrough cases, but they're preventing Everybody else from from suffering and and getting really sick So thank you out there to the people who are doing what the community is asking you to do I know it's not ideal, but it's it is working Yeah the idea isn't that? Like COVID disappears overnight, it's that fewer and fewer people get it, and those who do are are okay, and and that's what's happening.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, great. I think that's great, and also the heroes who have uh, dedicated so much time—the healthcare workers and volunteers—who have dedicated themselves to helping get shots in arms and uh, and distributing this vaccine. Uh, so I'll add them in there, and and yeah, you know, uh, we. Of course, talk about this a lot with Dr. Boyd, so we don't need to go into it in too much detail right now. But with my own breakthrough case, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's still exceedingly rare to get a breakthrough case. And uh, among my circle, I'm hearing a lot more about breakthrough cases. I talked to a friend of mine in Minneapolis who uh, has a breakthrough case, and she said she knows more people who have had breakthrough cases then yeah. she actually knows who had COVID before the vaccine. I have a theory about this. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but um, I think people are talking about having breakthrough cases more than they would talk about having actual COVID before. Because yeah, maybe. because like my feeling when I got it was first of all I felt, <laughs> for lack of a better word, unclean. You know, I, I was like, oh, I've got this thing. I was out there. You know, I didn't know I had it. I, I probably yeah. passed it on to some other people. I felt really bad about that. But I was fully vaccinated. I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing. I was wearing masks where I was supposed to be wearing masks. I was following all the CDC guidance. So I didn't mind talking about it as a breakthrough case because I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, it was unfortunate that I got it. But for people beforehand, maybe they went to an event, or maybe they weren't wearing a mask right. or, or they were putting themselves in a more dangerous situation when they were supposed to be staying at home, and perhaps were not so keen to like talk about. I've got COVID because mm. there maybe there's more of a stigma. I don't know. That's my theory for why I'm hearing about more breakthrough cases. But when you look at the reports and the numbers, they're still very rare.
2: Um, that's a really intriguing theory that I'm, I'm sure will be looked into. Um, I'm, I'm curious, and this is just kind of goes to show you is um, – all of this changes so rapidly, and we don't always it does. have all all the information. Like,
1: and we we're really, really don't.
2: We're relying on people to self-report and self-test and answer the phone when the contact tracer calls, and all of that. So, better to be, to be cautious, I think.
1: And it's so it's so hard. It's so confusing right now because the information seems to be changing every week. And totally. as as things develop, we learn more. Um, The bottom line, what we do know is the vaccine is uh, keeping us uh, safe from serious illness, keeping people out of the hospital, and masks really do help stop the spread um, and prevent the spread from happening. So get vaccinated, wear a mask while you're indoors, and um, thank you to all those. Yes, good reason, good uh, hero of the week, people who are vaccinated and wearing masks and all that stuff.
2: Probably everybody who's listening. I yeah. Assume. Good job, guys. I think so. Let's talk about our reasons for hope. What's your reason for
1: hope this week? Well, we've gotten an Olympic-heavy reason for hope segment, which I think is yeah, very appropriate. I agree. Um, my reason for hope, and this could very well be our hero of the week, too, um, transgender athlete Laura Hubbard is eligible to compete in the Tokyo Games because of her qualifications. Hubbard is set to make history at this summer's Olympic Games as the first openly transgender athlete to compete in a solo event. The 43-year-old was chosen by New Zealand's Olympic team, and uh, under the current IOC rules that state transgender women can compete in accordance with their gender identity if they meet several criteria, she is eligible. And she's one of three transgender athletes making history in these games she joins Quinn who will compete for Canada's soccer team and Chelsea Wolfe an American BMX rider who's uh, a reserve team member so that's really exciting and hopeful to me that uh, transgender athletes are able to participate as they should and at the highest level in the Olympics that's really really exciting
2: Congratulations, Laurel Hubbard. That's my uh, New Zealand accent.
1: <laughs> I was like, "What in the world are you doing?" And I'm glad you explained it. I don't mean <laughs> to be mean, but that was a rough New Zealand accent.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I used to I used to actually work for a New Zealand radio station.
1: All right, it's getting better. I, I it's better <laughs> the second time. I like it. You, you eased uh, into it. <laughs> I can't do anything. Uh, It's like I'm talking to Taiko Wakiki right here. It's amazing.
2: Close your eyes. And just <laughs> be transported. Um, yeah, we 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 talked about this last week. Like the Olympics, always so hopeful. Simone Biles is back. She competed yep. and and got the bronze, and I just love that. Awesome. And you know, she acknowledged um, that she just was not in a good place at the beginning of the games mentally, and um, how important it was for her to, to take ownership of that and and get back in when she was ready and then oh one of my favorite stories is the the um, high jumpers from italy and cutter who yeah. shared their good friends they shared a gold medal in the high jump event and this italian athlete is the most exuberant. excited exuberant <laughs> joyful person i've ever seen and like that juxtaposed with um, his friend from Qatar. He, he was like emotional and like wearing his sunglasses so nobody could see him, like <laughs> choking up as they agreed to share them. As they asked the official if they could share the medal, the official said yes. Uh, just such a beautiful moment. I love
1: it. If you, if anyone hasn't seen that, I it is so great. I probably most have. So what happened? If you haven't seen it, uh, they went jump for jump during the mm-hmm. competition. Uh, each one making their jump until they were completely tied. And then the official came up to the athlete from Qatar uh, and both of them and said, uh, we can do a jump off for you guys. You guys can do a jump mm-hmm. off for the gold. And uh, the athlete from Cutter said, can we share the medal? Can we both get gold? And the official said that would be possible. And they just hugged. It was just, you got to see it. I get chills just talking about it. Um, These beautiful stories from the Olympics are are why they're so exciting to watch every four, or in this case, five
2: years. (laughs) (laughs) Ending on a feel-good note. I love it.
1: Yeah. All right, so let's feel good by getting into action with this week's to-do list.
2: This is a California-centric to-do lists, but anybody can anybody can help out. And it's important that we all get involved in this.
1: Yep. We have a lot of listeners in California and um, I'm here in California. Mariah used to be here in California. This has national repercussions too. Does, of course, yeah. I'm talking about the recall uh, election uh, that Gavin Newsom is facing. You know, it's getting tight. There has been some polling recently that led me to bring this to our to-do list because I really want our listeners uh, to help out with this and volunteer if you can. There's been some polls that show about a 50% uh, margin here, which is tight. We, mm-hmm. it, we need to get people to vote no on this recall. They just need a little over that 50% threshold. Um, If they don't, if he doesn't get that, there are uh, so many crazy candidates that could literally become governor with just 20% of the vote in this special recall election, which will uh, undoubtedly be a low turnout election. So. It's really, really pivotal that we get the word out and make sure that Democrats show up. The vote ends, basically, the election is on September 14th, but early voting with ballots being mailed to everyone happens starting on August 16th, which is two weeks away, not even two weeks away, so – We're going to post a link to a phone bank uh, for the California Democratic Party where you can make calls to voters and let them know that their ballot's coming. Let them know just to vote no on that first question if you support the recall or not. We do not support that recall. And, um, And let's make sure we keep Gavin Newsom and a Democrat in control of the governorship of California.
2: Yeah, this is um, it doesn't feel it might not feel like uh, it has national implications like Steve was saying, but this is this recall effort is funded by a bunch of Trump supporters who spent, you know, millions of dollars getting signatures to initiate it. So it, it really is part of the big picture that we're all working against. And it, it's it's to me to me, it's not deserved. Gavin Newsom has been a. Um, a, a decent governor for California. He has you know, made some mistakes, which I think pretty much every elected did during the pandemic. Um, and some of his got more attention because of who he is and, and right. how big the state is. But he, he just uh, passed an incredible budget for the state of California that is going to help a lot of people um, and not just prevent them from going into poverty, but lift them up out of poverty. The state of California is paying the back rent um, for all the people who uh, weren't able to pay their rent during the pandemic. The landlords are going to get the money um, that is owed to them, uh, so they're they're making everyone even. So good work all around. This is not deserved. This is all political games.
1: Totally political games, and um, and all that's th- that you just talked about is true, but it. it- also, people think that this is a recall about his pandemic response. It is not. It was actually mm-hmm. initiated uh, way before, before uh, yeah. the coronavirus by uh, a group of Republicans based out of Orange County. One of them who was on Chris Hayes last week <laughs> talking about the the recall effort and said, we definitely need to get Gray Davis out of office. And, uh, and, we're, and Chris Hayes was like, I think you mean Gavin Newsom. But it just shows you like, of course, Gray Davis was the Democratic governor who was effectively recalled. And the reason we ended up with Arnold Schwarzenegger as our governor um, who won that recall effort. So same Republicans who have just uh, are using any tool they can to thwart the will of the voters are trying to do the same thing with Gavin Newsom. So uh, we're going to we're going to stop it.
2: The big difference in, in, in this recall is that, it, like, it was such a circus last time around. The when um, uh, Davis was recalled and Schwarzenegger was elected, there were so many weirdos running. Um, this time, there's like, there're gonna be seven pages worth of candidates on this on this ballot. Um, I think the most recognizable name is Caitlyn Jenner. Um, that's why this might be on people's radar because she is running, um, as a Republican, but, um, at least it hasn't been the circus. It was last time.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. It, it, it hasn't been. I don't know if that's good or bad. I think at this point, we need more awareness about this. We need to make mm-hmm. sure that Democrats show up because the phone calls we've been making uh, are really uh, simple people calls, but know. a lot of people just don't know about it. And we're like, just hey, you're gonna get a ballot in the mail. Oh, really? When's that happening? Yeah, it's August sixteenth, they drop and uh, and just vote no. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll do you know I'll do that. They've been easy phone calls, but people don't know. So we need to make those calls.
2: All right, good good action item. The second action item we have is another easy one. Um, it's Steve's Pod Blast Summer, <laughs> where we're asking you to get three friends to subscribe to this podcast. So tell them about it. Let them know what actions you've taken because of it, or what great information you've gotten from it, um, and encourage them to subscribe and listen.
1: And how fun the hosts are! Don't forget to mention that to them. Uh, Um, and yeah as Mariah likes to say text them the link to the podcast so they can subscribe right there on their phone that's the easiest way to do it
2: great advice thanks so much for the reminder
1: speaking of great advice and really important information let's hear this great interview with Dr. Rhea Boyd
2: Dr. Rhea Boyd is a pediatrician and public health advocate who writes and teaches about the relationship between structural racism, inequity and health. She co-developed The Conversation Between Us and About Us, a national campaign to bring credible information about COVID vaccines directly to Black and Latinx communities. Dr. Boyd, thank you for taking the time to talk to us in what must be a very busy season of your, your life.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Uh, let's get into the the conversation that we're all having right now. Um, and this has been the hardest thing for me. I've been really excited to talk to you um, and was so grateful that you were coming on our show. And I had a hard time coming up with questions because I felt like that it's just the question. It's what we're all really focused on right now. I personally am one of those rare breakthrough cases. I ended up getting infected with COVID and sick a few weeks ago. And, um, and have been working really hard to find compassion for people who choose not to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know that it's a lot deeper than just your political party and, uh, and the polarization that we have. So many of these people are being fed really bad information. And you helped develop, as we talked about, the conversation between us about us to help provide good information uh, can you talk about this project and how it's going?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, I'm so sorry that you had COVID. I mean, that's what we're all trying to do is prevent people from ever having to be even exposed to COVID, let alone
1: infected. Right. Are I worked really it? hard. I was That was my yeah. goal for a <laughs> year and a half was don't get that thing. <laughs>
0: right. I know. And sometimes it seems like the tides are shifting, like as more public discourse centers around how we're just going to live with covid you even hear some people saying you know just get it and get out of get it out of the way which mm. you know from a healthcare's perspective is not how we feel at all and right. perhaps even after having it is not how you feel either there's two pieces in there I wanted to talk about so first I'll talk about the campaign but then I want to talk about this idea of choice and vaccination okay. um, which i think isn't as straightforward as maybe people think it is so our campaign like you said is called the conversation between us about us it is stemmed from Black providers across the country talking behind the scenes about what we were seeing in our own communities, what we were seeing in our families, and what we were seeing in our clinical practice. And we were concerned about the early disinformation before any of the vaccines even came out that was already targeting our communities, undermining their confidence in the Mm. COVID vaccines. And so we started working on this, again, before the vaccines even came out to make sure that when they came out, we had materials created by Black folks for Black folks about the COVID with vaccines. Um, And so we created with Kaiser Family Foundation and initially with Black Coalition Against COVID, um, which is a coalition that represents the four historically Black medical schools and the Black Nurses Association and the National Medical Association, which is the Black Physicians Professional Association that took the place of the AMA when Black folks couldn't join the AMA. Mm. Um, And so we combined together and we created this online repository of digital resources so that people could go down what we call a healthy rabbit hole of information Mm. about the COVID vaccines. So we take on the COVID myths about the disease itself and the myths about the vaccines and just share really um, credible science about what we know about the vaccine safety and efficacy uh, profile.
2: The videos on the website are super helpful, short, easy to understand. So I highly recommend people going to, to get their questions answered there. It's great.
0: Yeah. Mm, Thanks for saying that. That's what we wanted just to be like a quick 30 seconds. Can you get it if you're pregnant? Like, here's what the experts say. Like, can you get it if you're a child? Like, here's the data we have for kids. Um, So I'm glad you liked it.
1: And and let me just say one other thing. Uh, You you talked about people who, and I haven't had anyone, at least in my community saying this, who feel like they should just get it and get it over with because everyone's Mm going to get it. Um, it wasn't a picnic, you know, I'm, I'm still have some like lung bronchial stuff. I'm a 50 year old man and, and really good health, really, really good health. No, I don't know. I am in <laughs> decent health. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was in bed for three days with a fever. And, and if, if anyone has any other underlying health issues, this is not something that you want to get even a mild version of it. And of course we don't know what long-term effects are out there, you know, it seems like the information on this is changing week to week, which is makes it doubly confusing for everyone.
0: I completely agree. I think early on, there was a lot of conflation between what the flu feels like and what COVID might feel like. Mm-hmm. And public health experts have tried to do a lot of work to educate the public to say this is not like the flu, both in terms of severity. Many, many more people have died from COVID than ever die annually of the flu in terms of how infectious it is. Uh, Particularly, the Delta variant is more contagious than the common cold, um, which is more akin to how contagious the flu is. And in terms of long term side effects, like you said, that instead of just having a week or two of maybe bad cold symptoms with fever, people can go on to have months and months of unrelenting symptoms, um, both respiratory and in terms of their uh, cognition, like trouble with memory, trouble with. Um, concentrating, mm-hmm. um, and so we absolutely don't want people to just get COVID. I think the national goal is to prevent anyone from getting COVID anymore, and certainly anybody else from dying of it. Um,
2: one of the the challenges that Steve touched on a little bit, and that we've seen in some communities, is this politicization. Politicization. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, masks, the vaccine. Um, COVID mandates, things like that. Were you surprised by, by that as it started to unfold last year? And have you seen anything um, similar before in, in your line of work?
0: You know, it's a challenging question to really chart the timeline of when COVID as a pandemic became politicized, because although I think it's really easy now to look at some of the polls The polling data that tells us that, you know, folks of various kind of voting backgrounds or who ascribe to certain parties might think differently about the vaccines. There actually has been like an anti-science movement that precedes even the pandemic itself, where we saw certain populations subject to and then spread disinformation about science in general Mm. that during this last administration got picked up at the very beginning of the pandemic, that from the highest office in the country, we had people undermining the severity of the COVID pandemic, even when, you know, later evidence came out saying that they actually knew how severe things might be, that they knew how deadly, uh, what a deadly risk COVID might pose. And so I think, What makes it hard now is that those seeds have been sown, not just, you know, right now for the past few months Mm -hmm. since the vaccines have been out, but for the past few years um, during this past administration. And so kind of teasing that out and undoing that work and trying to get to the bottom of where anti-science rhetoric and political beliefs come from, I think is a much bigger, more challenging question than the more, the somewhat more simple question of like, how can we get people just
1: vaccinated? Yeah. And I, you know, I, and I love the conversation, the work that you're doing there and how you're bringing it to communities and having community members, uh, or people who look like the communities, uh, that they're going into have these conversations really for just about Every conversation we have, when you have a trusted messenger, when you have someone from the community, it's going to be that much more effective. I mean, it's in our political work, if we're canvassing and going door to door in in our communities, when it's someone that's a neighbor, could be that they don't have to be even an expert, but they share that common bond. It's just so much more effective. So I... I'm seeing. I'm. I'm trying to be a little hopeful because I am seeing some more people who were very hesitant to get the vaccine before, um, yeah. because of the political information, start to respond to some of these Republicans who are going on national TV and some of the governors and mayors who are Republicans who are really uh, telling vaccinated people how impor- unvaccinated people how important it is to get vaccinated now and starting to have that conversation locally. So I don't really know what my point is, except that I really love the project you're doing because I think that's how we really reach each other is on the ground locally, one-to-one.
0: Absolutely. I think that is what we found over the course of this kind of national vaccination dissemination strategy that at the very beginning, you can just use mass media messaging that might catch people on TV or on the radio to encourage everyone to get vaccinated. And with that messaging, you'll catch the most motivated Of folks, But once you get past that and the newness and the shininess of vaccination wears off, it really is the hard work of going basically door to door of making sure that somebody hears that every single person in this country hears from somebody something credible about the vaccines and why it's important for them to get them, which will then help them kind of make that next step.
2: Can our listeners uh, get involved with the conversation and support it?
0: Absolutely. Um, So for folks who want to check out the conversation, you can visit our website, www.betweenusaboutus.org. While this campaign started as an effort Um, by Black physicians for Black communities to get this information out there. And I should say, it started as an effort by Black healthcare workers, um, which includes physicians, nurses, um, some folks who worked on the clinical trials, to get this information out to our communities. We now also have a separate platform that is in Spanish uh, by Latinx physicians Mm. and promotoras and scientists, Um, and so you can go to www.betweenusaboutus.org to see this information in English or Spanish. There's pre, there's free printed materials there. So if you're a provider who works in a clinic who just wants to print something out really quick, you can print it for people. There's social media downloads. There's an entire toolkit so you can just share the information for free. So these videos aren't copyrighted. You don't have to pay to use them. Just steal them, put them on your social media, (laughs) put them on your website,
1: yeah. That's great. We'll put the link on our uh, podcast page as well for people that. to find. And um, that's what we, we want. We want people to, to have something to do to be able to jump in and help. So okay. let's let's just talk practical, like where we are right now in, in your mind. I mean, you had a recent Twitter thread uh, that said, quote, it's time to set new expectations of what normal will look like in the coming weeks and likely months how do you think we should be preparing ourselves? Uh, What should we be preparing for right now?
0: This is a great question. You know, I've been wanting to take on these conceptions of normal for a while, since this past May, when the CDC changed the masking guidelines. When they changed the masking guidelines for folks who are vaccinated, a lot of the language was about returning to quote unquote, normal activities, returning to kind of normalcy for you and whatever that means for you. And so I think it's time for us to recalibrate what we even mean by words like normal when we still are in a global pandemic that in many places in the world don't have access to vaccination, which means the pandemic will surge on. Mm -hmm. And so I think the first part of returning to normal is to normalize masking, that instead of following specific criteria, meaning if you're vaccinated or not, or if you're in a certain indoor location, or if you work for certain providers, or if you have certain health conditions, everyone should mask. If you are going in any indoor facility, whether you're vaccinated or not, you should wear a mask because we are in a pandemic. And right now we're in the middle of a surge of a strain of COVID that is the most contagious that we've seen yet. And because it's the most contagious, it means right now people are more likely to be exposed to COVID if you go outdoors. And especially if you're indoors where there's poor ventilation, You are more likely to be infected if exposed. And obviously, we know the risks of COVID infection once you get infected, of long COVID, prolonged illness, and potentially even death. And so people need to mask. It is the simplest, cheapest intervention we all can do uh, to make sure that we don't spread COVID to other folks. So masking should just be normal at this point. Um, the other things that I wanted to set for folks were for parents preparing for this upcoming school year, Mm -hmm. because this last school year, a lot of kids were in a hybrid model where maybe they sometimes went in person or they were mostly virtual or for kids who stayed home all year or for that smaller slice of kids who just missed school for a year, no matter what, because last year was so disruptive to kids, social and emotional development, this upcoming year is not going to be quote unquote normal. And that's not even talking about necessarily all of the COVID precautions, which I'll say in a second. It's to say that kids have to re-acclimate socially to the Mm -hmm. routine of going to school. And for many kids over the pandemic, some may have developed a type of social anxiety where it's Mm -hmm. actually difficult for them to re-pick up that routine. Mm -hmm. And so that means parents caregivers, teachers, staff at schools need to be prepared that kids are probably going to need some social and emotional supports independent of their academic activities so that they're ready to engage with other humans all day long in a way they might not have all last year. Um, And then the other piece is that what school looks like inside the normal of that will look different too, that we should normalize smaller class sizes, that while budget cuts might've enabled us to have class sizes of 30 or more kids, that's no longer safe. And so now what's normal during a pandemic is much smaller class sizes depending on the size of the classroom um, so that you can space students out. Again, it's normal for students and all folks who go into a school building to mask while they're in that building, whether they're vaccinated or not. And then to normalize having adequate ventilation within schools or alternate learning environments where kids can split out from their classroom into smaller, better ventilated areas, particularly in places that are going to come into winter in a few months. Mm -hmm. So that you can stay warm, but still not overexposed to people who might uh, have COVID. I think resetting that in our minds before our kids even walk into a school building is really important so they know what to expect so we know what to expect so instead of us constantly wishing for something different we just say okay this is what's normal this is the new common experience for all of us and we just accept it and move on
1: I think that's really helpful my daughter's going to her freshman year of college uh this year and Mm -hmm. fortunately because it's a college they're able to uh you know, effectively mandate vaccines for everyone on the campus and, and create a, a safer environment. But um, these are, yeah, I, I think setting these expectations is really important. One, one quick question that's just a personal one, but I think many listeners will probably appreciate your guidance on too. I'm supposed to fly back east in a couple of days to go to my dad's 90th birthday celebration, with a group of vaccinated people, but people are flying in from other areas too. How worried should I be about being on an airplane and doing that considering this, this big surge with the Delta variant right now?
0: This is a really tricky and important question and I'm glad you raised it because I think you're right. I think people waited a long time to plan travel and to plan to fly. And so more people are flying now than had in the past year. Um, there are a couple of things that make this trip particularly high risk. The first one is it's your dad's 90th birthday. Right. So what we know from that most recent CDC data that looked at some outbreaks across the country, including that outbreak in Provincetown, uh, Massachusetts, was that vaccinated individuals can get COVID, which we knew all along, but they can also transmit it to other vaccinated folks and that they can transmit it at the same rate as somebody who is unvaccinated. And so what that means is for the folks who fly in, who might be exposed to COVID in their travels, they could then, if they contract COVID, share it with all of the other vaccinated folks there. And if the party tends to, if the average age of that party Tends closer to your dad than to your age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those are also folks whose immune systems may not have the um, maximum protection that the vaccines can confer. And so the other thing they found is that the folks. You can just who say tended- they're super
1: old. You can just say that. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There are elders and we love them so much Mm -hmm. and they're more fragile than we are. Their Mm -hmm. immune systems just are more fragile, which means the vaccines give them the best protection that we have at our disposal right now, but it's not the same maximum protection everyone else has. And so when you look at vaccinated folks who do end up with COVID, the ones who tend to be hospitalized tend to be disproportionately elderly. And so you want to just be careful About bringing a group like that together at a time like now when Delta is surging. So things people can do to try to limit the risk. I mean, the first thing is if people can reschedule travel, if this is months in advance, now might be a time to rethink about your travel plans. If your travel is happening really quickly and for whatever reason you can't reschedule, I would say if you can get the highest quality mask possible to fly with. So you want to cover your nose and mouth with a solid seal around your nose and mouth with, if possible, an N95, um, which is the highest filtration mask that we have that we use like in ICUs and clinical practice. Mm -hmm. What that means is that you, even if there is COVID circulating in the air and planes have done a lot to try to filter out infectious agents, but even if it's circulating that you should be protected by wearing that mask. Um, If you think you might be sitting next to somebody who might have active symptoms and be coughing actively and you don't have an N95, think about then wearing some type of shield. Large glasses can often help so that your eyes aren't exposed um, and a regular surgical mask. If you don't have a surgical mask and you're just using a cloth mask, double mask it so that you can add the filtration of two masks together to increase your protection. And then leading up to everyone's travel, just avoid being in other public places. Try not to be exposed to other people right now. So the only people you're exposed to are the people who are coming to this event who have tried to limit their other exposure so they're less likely to kind of carry a risk of infection when they arrive. And anybody who has symptoms, don't go. Even if you already got on that plane, just don't go to the party that day. Stay home, get tested.
1: Great advice. Kind of bleak, but really good advice.
0: (laughs) I know. It's a good question. People ask me this in clinic all the time. And these are, you know, personal decisions. Everyone will decide what's right for them. You know, wearing a mask is the very least of what everyone can do. And then getting tested if you actually have symptoms is probably the right way forward. Yeah. Um,
2: you are also the director of Equity and Justice for the California Children's Trust, an initiative mm-hmm. to advance mental health access for children and youth across California. We are no doubt experiencing a mental health crisis in our country, uh, and just like most everything within our healthcare system, this is uh, has a profound effect on, on Black and Brown kids. Um, how can we better support our children at this time?
0: This is a great question. And I'm so thrilled you asked it. I try to like weave in my mental health advocacy, even when I was talking about how we normalize going back to schools. I think one of the major things is just making these mental health services free for kids right Mm -hmm. at school. This has been a long advocacy effort on behalf of pediatricians, people who work in the mental health community, public health advocates. So it's not new, but it's increasingly urgent that You shouldn't have to have any insurance, not private insurance, not even Medicaid to get a mental health service if you're a child in this country. Mm -hmm. It should be free and every child should receive it, whether they have symptoms of a mental health impairment or not, because many kids will not actually amount to the type of symptoms that adults do when they do have early signs of depression or when they're struggling to cope with a loss or um, with changes in their home environment that may have resulted from the pandemic. So making sure that all kids can just get access to things that help support their social and emotional well-being and that they can learn how to be that peer-to-peer support at school as well so that people know how to recognize when other kids are struggling and having trouble coping and they know how to pro-socially respond instead of isolating that child, stigmatizing that child, that the whole classroom, whatever the unit is, the whole school kind of wraps around the kids who are having the most trouble and they then help that person kind of cope and move through it.
1: That's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Yeah, We we talked at the beginning about how incredibly busy you are and all the things that you juggle, so we can't take up any more of your time, except we do want to ask you one more question that we always ask everyone, and it's a difficult one, uh, especially in the context of this really serious conversation we've had um, and the spike in the Delta variant and all that. But uh, what gives you the most hope right now for our future? Mm.
0: One, I would just kind of flag for people, I am enormously hopeful. I don't struggle actually with hope. When we talk to people across the country about what's keeping them from making that choice to get vaccinated, most people share a legitimate fear. Mm -hmm. Most people are really concerned about something, and it usually is very specific, either about their own health, the health of a loved one, or about how the vaccine might affect them and how that might affect their livelihood or their future. So when I hear those things, it helps me understand that people's concerns aren't frivolous. People aren't just being selfish or indifferent to the pandemic. People are trying to navigate this the best they can. And when we get into these emotional conversations, It just opens my heart to how much people want to protect themselves and to protect others, which to me feels like an opportunity for us to just equip people with the information so that they can do that. People are already trying to do that, even when their vaccination status might make us read them a different way. Mm. I think the truth is, people are trying to make the best choice they can, and sometimes they need a little more help um, making a choice that's in their best interest. And I think hearing people be vulnerable and being willing to share their fears um, in these public sessions that we're having even when they are community-based to say to your neighbors that you're scared gives me hope because it says if you can say that and then we all can rally around you and say that what we're scared about and get it addressed and then decide to sign up as a group to get vaccinated like that just it gives me great hope it means you know, we can do this, that it might take us longer than we like, but I think we can vaccinate this country.
2: Well, thank you so much for helping us end on a very hopeful note and for the important work that you're doing. I wish you lived in Austin so I could bring my <laughs> baby in to see you. <laughs> um, we really appreciate you taking the time to,
1: to
0: chat with us today. Oh, of course. Thank you again so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win, and we win when we all get involved and stay engaged.
2: Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. And don't forget to also share our show with three friends right now.
1: That's right. And you get a free Gensu knife when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Check out our pod page at swingleft.org podcast. And of course, while you're there, go ahead and sign up to volunteer.
2: We really appreciate you being here with us and we'll be back with more next Wednesday.